0: How's it going comrades? You are listening to Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in schools and on corporate media. I'm JD and this is my co-host Isha and we're joined by Brandon Winters.
1: It's time to end the mythologizing of Thanksgiving and it's time for us to face who the pilgrims and the colonial settlers were in their heart and their minds. Today for our special Thanksgiving episode, Matt Leck from The Majority Report joins us. He also has a podcast called Literary Hangover, where he discusses the intersection between history and literature. Thank you for joining us, Matt. So do you want to tell the audience what Literary Hangover is and what you do there?
2: Yeah, Literary Hangover is sort of like my book club podcast where I discuss uh, history uh, through the lens of fiction. Mainly American history and now we're in the sort of colonial times. So the 1600s and 1700s and we use sort of uh, like uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter and books like that to uh, uh, elucidate sort of what they do show us about history and what they sort of mask and missed about it.
1: Amazing. It's kind of sounds like a good uh, dovetail with our podcast, which is just about history. So how do they find mm-hmm. your podcast?
2: Uh, it's on uh, YouTube and uh, all the places you usually get podcasts at uh, Literary Hangover, and also uh, patreon.com slash Hangover.
1: Okay, that's good. Yeah, please be sure to check it out. Uh, thank you for coming on to our Thanksgiving episode. And who were the original inhabitants of the Massachusetts area before contact with the people we call pilgrims?
2: Uh, you know, that's a good question. I mean, mainly, of course, n- the general answer is Native American and in- Indigenous peoples. Uh, I, w- I would say the general term, at least that I've picked up, especially in Massachusetts and Connecticut area, is Wampanoag. Uh, and this sort of branches off into a number of different types of uh, of groups. And I'm not the mo- the best expert on that, but uh, the Pequots is one of those.
1: And the Pequots lived in Massachusetts?
2: Uh, Connecticut.
1: Connecticut. Were they part of the Iroquois Confederacy?
2: Uh, I think the Iroquois Confederacy, I believe, uh, develops a little bit later and a, a bit more upstate New York. I think they preceded the Confederacy.
1: Can you describe first contact happen with the colon, colonial settlers?
2: Yeah, there's a few, uh, my understanding is a, a few early settlements uh, in the f- late 1500s. Um, or throughout the 1500s but northeast and especially in New England it starts uh, once you get into the 1600s uh, and uh, so basically you have Dutch New York and then uh, English, um, English Massachusetts sort of developing and growing and Massachusetts is splintering off in a lot of new areas into a lot of new areas and you get Uh, Rhode Island developing there and the Pequots are sort of right in the middle of those three uh, which uh, is sort of um, where you get the conflict and you know we'll get to I'm sure sure the massacre a bit later but um, as these new uh, European colonists are entering the area um, as uh, trade is increasing and that also includes uh, germs and so you have a bunch of Tribes getting sick from diseases that have been uh, sort of um, developing on Eurasia, and you know those antibodies have been traveling the Silk Road for thousands of years, and the indigenous people in the Americas weren't uh, uh, prepared for the them uh, biologically speaking. Uh,
1: The British had kidnapped this uh, kid from one of the First Nations, and they called him Squanto. And when he came back, wasn't his entire tribe just missing?
2: Yeah, and there's this strange, um, and they didn't know how to interpret a lot of this stuff. So they took it as, oh, this is just our land and God's clearing it for us. Um, Because when they would bring Native Americans back to Europe, they would die uh, very quickly, obviously, because the germs would be much greater over there that they weren't prepared for than, you know, what happened to the United States. And with the sophistication, uh, the scientific sophistication or lack thereof, people took it as, you know, sort of, uh, this is a fragile new world, but there's something sort of um, spiritually, something spiritual about it that's causing the death. And it's sort of, be, it's providence, I guess, is how they decided to interpret it.
1: First group of settlers besides the Virginia Company, they were very... What religious, like, how did their religion fit or differ from the Church of England,
2: for example? Uh, yeah, I the, the basically you have the separatins and the, the the Puritans, and I'm not sure exactly how to define all these different groups, but uh, my understanding is you have a bunch of um, uh, uh, issues with regards to church and state uh, and the English Revolution festering over, and uh, basically you have a bunch of pilgrims that want to come over, and they think that the Church of England is too corrupted uh, along the lines of, let's say, the, like the Catholic Church, it's too idolatrous and too this or that, and they want to go back to more fundamentalist uh, understanding of, of the Bible and what it means for them in the world, and, and the, uh, the new world gives them the ability to do that. Uh, it should also I'd also point out that, like the Mayflower, for instance, wasn't just coming over here to bring uh, furs. It was, or uh, it wasn't just uh, coming over here to bring settlers and new pilgrims. It was also a fur trading vessel. And I, th- I believe maybe if it's not the Mayflower, one of these other uh, big ships that we know the name of that brought. Pilgrims over. Also, its next up was the Caribbean to move slaves. Um, so, as part of this, this the the, the spiritual uh, stuff is is important, but I also think the economic uh, how the Northeast was basically a, a, another leg on the slave trade and a less important one than uh, Africa or the Caribbean, but you know, one for to de- maintain
3: ships and, and that sort of thing.
1: Um,
3: what you were saying about fur that that was. Um like efforts to control access to the fur trade that were that that was one of the causes of war, right? Or that led to the Pequot War? Yeah, yeah, one of many. Uh, okay. The
2: material, the material. Uh, there's a bunch of material sort of um, confluences in the Pequot War. So the first thing is we've already mentioned diseases a little bit, but the Pequots were spared a bit more than some of the neighboring tribes from um, from getting decimated by uh, diseases. Um. So they were in a decent, more powerful shape, and they were more intimidating to settlers for that reason. And they were also situated on a part of the uh, Connecticut and the, and the ocean where there's Wampanoag shells, which were, uh, which were sort of sanded down into wampum, and it's sort of the ceremonial, uh, sort of like uh, historical accounting slash, also eventually when the settlers got their hands on it, uh, became a sort of currency, and that was right. probably... I would think one of their main, the main reasons that they were had the target on their back. But yeah, they, they controlled a lot of um, uh, uh, fur trapping area land, uh, land as well.
1: Were the English the first Europeans they made contact with, or was it Dutch or French?
2: Uh, these specific, I would, I would say it's probably the Dutch. And the Dutch, uh, the Dutch for instance, I just mentioned the wampum. They, uh, they brought machines over to help. Wampum was something that was made by hand and sanded down uh, um, by the Pequots and the other Native Americans in the Northeast, and actually it's spreading throughout the the whole um, uh, North Eastern part of the country. Um, but the Dutch brought over a machine that could help them churn out a lot of it a lot faster. And I thought
3: that was very hmm. characteristic of colonialist behavior. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. Uh, uh,
3: what were some of the other material factors in play that um, led to the war?
2: Um, you know, one of the things is, uh, is, the, the the reasons they gave for attacking the, the Pequots are very tenuous when you look into it. Uh, there was a trader named John Oldham who was killed off of Block Island, uh, off the coast of Long Island. And that is cited commonly by um, Winthrop and Bradford and, and Hubbard, the, the main sort of, uh, of the time, historians of the war, as one of the precipitating events. But Oldham wasn't killed by a Pequot. He was killed by a Narragansett-aligned, uh, uh, I believe, Niantic uh, tribe or a, a few from a, a band of Neantics. And it was clearly just a pretext. They were just ready to attack the uh, the Pequots. And the Narragansetts were aligned with Rhode Island and Roger Williams uh, against the Pequots. So there's some, a bit of a divide-and-conquer stuff going on there, too. But um, it's interesting that I, traders and the deaths of traders are a common... Are the, are the main um, citations for what provoked the war. And these traders aren't just traders of furs and, and wampum, but also of information. So you have um, uh, Oldham carrying letters from uh, uh, Winthrop and to his son while this, in the run-up to this war. Um, and and you can sort of uh, track the, the movements of these traders. And there's another guy named Stone who was sort of a rabble-rouser. He, he was like, uh, he helped He, like, uh, I guess cuckolded a man in uh, Massachusetts and was run around, run run out of, I think, both New Amsterdam and Massachusetts. And then he was killed by some Native Americans, too. And they all of a sudden acted like he was, you know, someone they all liked. And how dare they kill uh, Stone? And of course, <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, so it's kind of like weapons of mass destruction. Like they kind of made up a reason because they already wanted to go to war.
2: It's so much like that. Like, I I, I don't think I said this on the episode, but like John Oldham is sort of like uh, a world trade center and you have, uh, let's see if I can map this analogy out. And then you have the neantics who I guess would be. No, nah, I don't want really you want to try to do this, but yeah, it's it's false pretense. It's, <laughs> we're, we're going to how how dare we're going to use the suffering of some individual uh, as a pretext for basically murdering an entire group of people. Uh-huh. And uh, that was it's a very early pattern, apparently.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. So <laughs> um, next week, uh, a lot of kids are going to be. Uh, fed with horrible myths about the first Thanksgiving, so mm-hmm. can you tell us what if you, if if you had a kid and you were going to tell it the truth, like how how would it go about the the first contact between the Pequot and the Pilgrims?
2: You know the the tough thing is that the while while it is definitely myth mythologized and false. There's something true in that trade was a major use, uh, a major way of communication between these groups, and it's it's um, uh, you know it's it's hard. I mean, Thanksgiving in general is just completely like uh, nonsensical. I think I don't know the specifics of of what happened with that story. I I have some vague memories, but I understand. My understanding is that the uh, the the tribes that helped the pilgrims there. weren't ended up treated terribly well themselves um i mean my favorite thing regarding this topic is just to talk about christopher columbus and how basically it's it's um the state power getting behind a lucky guy who managed to like underestimate the size of the world uh which allowed him to you know have the courage to try to cross an ocean that you know by his calculation should have uh, been a lot smaller um but yeah i don't know i don't know what i really say my thing with uh i I try not to to just tell people they've been told lies with this stuff but rather that make it a bit more um uh, granular um because there's i also talked about in a previous episode of literary hangover a guy named thomas morton and him versus the uh the uh puritans is an interesting dynamic because he was sort of a um uh just a, a big free trade sort of I guess you would call it proto pirate type of guy and everything goes, let's just trade. Let's all have fun. And, uh, this is in the Maple of Marymount. His, his town is eventually cut down by the Puritans who don't like the race mis- mixing and don't like the him, uh, trading guns to native Americans, for instance. And so like a trade and, uh, you know, uh, communication between native Americans and, and, and colonists is, uh, it's more complex than, I mean, it's, it's especially more complex than just people helping people. Uh, although uh, I think the, uh, the helpfulness of Native Americans to pilgrims is one thing definitely a 2 stress because there's no way that the, any of the colonies would have survived without the trade relationships they built with communities uh, that
0: were already here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, differences between land use and the English thought they were entitled to the land because in their minds the indigenous population wasn't using the land correctly. Yeah. Whatever. What was the difference between how uh indigenous people and natives or indigenous people in English um use land in organized uh like yeah property?
2: Yeah, I mean the basic difference is uh, the they de- the English developed a bunch of different concepts. Vacuum decilium is the the main one that sounds sort of, um, I guess maybe it sounds sort of Latin and rotative. What it really means is there this land is empty, so we can use it. But in truth, the land wasn't empty. Uh, it was be a lot of this was being used seasonally (laughs) though and so you have you have Native Americans that in certain part of the year will will be in one area because that's where the uh, resources are for that time of year and you move over it and and to be honest uh, the the vacuum decilium uh, the justification didn't even last scrutiny uh, contemporaneously like Roger Williams the um, guy who started Rhode Island was calling it out and that's one of the reasons why he was eventually exiled from Massachusetts. He's like it's clearly not empty land. Uh, we have to compensate. Uh, I mean he would just say it belongs to them and if they want us off it we're we're gonna have to be out of here and and the, the one of the buzzwords to always look for for this time is improvements. Are we improving the land meaning are we like chopping down trees and building a the field there? Are we you know that that sort of thing and it's funny that they call it improvements i think um i was reading a book on Ooh, am i gonna be it's some german uh naturalist and he traveled to america and they're talking about how um Kravaker, the uh the guy who wrote uh, uh the you know the reference um the french guy who wrote democracy in america uh. and one of the Oh t- uh yeah de tocqueville uh, I think de Tocqueville mentions that like chopping down trees to let the air go through is good for the environment, so it's oh it's that sort of thinking is is <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> and, and like how how useful and and I will point out that uh uh like the Native American tribes in the area also affected their environment, but I think in more sustainable ways uh they would burn areas uh so like the underbrush would be burnt out, and then you'd have basically just newer growth forests that would be easier to hunt in because you could see the animals and um, from farther away and, and that sort of thing. So like envir- the, the, the never a virgin land, let's say that. It's it, the, the, the people here were cultivating it and using it for their purpose.
1: So what happened what happened around the 1630s that that created this tinderbox before the war?
2: Yeah, there's a there's a number of things. I think just the growth of the French and and or the Dutch and uh, and English settlements, but also a lot of uh, scholars note a hurricane in 1635 that really put a lot of pressure on uh, on um, supplies. So, for instance, during the Mystic Massacre in 1637, before they actually burnt the entire village of women and children.
1: Well,
2: wait. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I'll just I'll just leave it as. Getting corn was a huge uh, uh, motivating factor for uh, why you would make an attack. Uh, And I believe one of the uh, the Pequot emissaries, when when he finds out that hey, we're actually going to go to war, like what's this? What's going on here? He says, "We'll take some of your cattle and cows, and we're not afraid of you." That sort of thing. So these sorts of livestock was a huge um, livestock and food was a huge huge uh, concern. The uh, it's mentioned that the uh, English soldiers were hungry as they were preparing for the uh,
1: the war. Originally, the Virginia colony was a for-profit corporation, so people had to prospect and send back valuables back to the uh, shareholders. Mm -hmm. Was Massachusetts Bay colony or Plymouth colony just a colony owned by the Queen? Well, not owned, but uh, whatever.
2: No, it, It was a similar type of arrangement. Um, where uh, where I think there there's like different shareholders, but I I can't I can't be too specific about that. But I think it was similar to the uh, Virginia oh, settlements. Okay, so that's what I
1: thought. Um, okay, so who fired the first shot in the Pequot War?
2: Who? Well, it sort of depends by which uh, silly inciting incident that you decide was the real one. Um, but definitely, it. I mean, it would have been. Really, the Mystic Massacre is the Pequot War.
1: Okay.
2: Um, uh, you know, you, ha- you have the killings of the, the traders and stuff before, but uh, that's the first battle and, and that's, the, that's where it starts okay. off. T-
1: talk about the Mystic Massacre. Um, where is the, the Pequot village? And I guess it happened in May 26, 1637. So can you start start with what happened in the morning and go into detail?
2: Uh, yeah so basically uh what happened was uh, let's see how do i want to organize this um, um, so um, yeah how where to start uh, well basically what happened is uh, you have a bunch of english settlers uh, and mystic uh the mystic massacre was uh, took place on what we now call the Thames River, which was renamed after the war. Uh, it was originally called the Pequot River in Connecticut. Uh, the English, the Pequots, notice a bunch of a few English boats uh, that look like a war party passing them, heading uh, to Rhode Island from the New York area, and they're not really sure what's going on. They're asking them, "Hey, what's up?" Um, and they kind of get the sense that this is going to be bad. So they, the English sail past and then get on, on the uh, island up, river, up, up uh, north east of them. And then them with uh, allies from the Narragansetts, wh- who they met up with in Rhode Island, march over to the mystic fort. Oh,
1: okay, and so, just, hold on. So the English had uh, another First Nation as an ally?
2: Yes. And that's that's one of the, the sort of confusing things here is uh and, and I I forget what his name is, but there is was a Narragansett chief who was closely allied with uh with Roger Williams and they had the trade relationships there. And the Narragansetts and Peach uh Pequots were sort of uh rivals, uh trade rivals especially at this time.
1: And the Narragansett and, live in Rhode Island area. Rhode
2: Island, yep, yep. Okay. And uh and so basically, what happens is uh, uh, what, later that night, when uh, I, a lot of the hunting party is at a different um, a different village, uh, all of a sudden there there's a a, a palisade. So you know, like uh, pointed sticks surrounding this whole village, and then two entrances on on either side. Uh, John Underhill and uh, a, a, I think it's John Mason. Uh, they each take two. They each of them take an entrance and go in and start fighting. Uh, The fighting is fairly intense for a little bit. And that's why I mentioned it earlier. They, they wanted to try to capture provisions and corn, but the fighting was too, uh, was they could, they realized they weren't going to be able to do it because uh, some soldiers weren't coming out of the, uh, you know, the, they didn't want to go hut to hut basically. Mm -hmm. And so John Mason gives the order to just torch the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And it, creates an, a giant blaze, and some of the Pequots try to leave and and get through the uh, the circle of English uh, attackers, but the Narragansetts are behind them and pick off anybody who gets through and I think a few a, a couple people uh, survived it, but generally it was a complete massacre and this uh, this turned off a lot of the uh, Narragansett allies to the English because they're like we didn't sign up for this. We didn't think it was going to be this brutal. Um, uh, fighting between indigenous groups was not really uh, similar to fighting as a colonists knew it. It was a lot less brutal, a lot less deadly. And uh, and there's a an, a few of the histories I mentioned. Like this was where the native people realized like um, this is something different that we're dealing with
3: okay so the um i guess so maybe one way to put it would be that inter-tribe fighting is more about just kind of establishing boundaries as opposed to settler colonialist aims which are eliminationist because you got to wipe them out in order to really take the place if you want to claim it as your own yeah yeah
2: i i would say they they thought um it was a more economically and trade relationship uh, relationship, and then uh, afterwards though the Narragansetts and I haven't gotten to this part in my close studies, but the Narragansetts were marked out I think it was King Philip's war um, that they were the uh, the the tribe that the colonists had to deal with so these aren't permanent victories for these groups uh, because uh, and it's mentioned like the colonists develop a sort of this is this is where you start to trace um The development of a sort of white or Christian identity
3: uh, in the United States. Okay. So so did the Narragansetts um, at any point, I guess, before King Philip's War, did they, did it occur to them that, well, if they're here to to claim this land as their own, it's only going to be a matter of time before they want to take us out. Did that?
2: I think pretty much much immediately after the Pequots were wiped out, they, things started souring between the Narragansetts and there and even Rhode Island.
1: How many Pequots survived the massacre um, in 16,
2: the Mystic Massacre? Ooh, I'm not sure because there was another area, another um, village that wasn't obviously attacked. Uh, I'm not sure how many survived out there, but I do know that the uh, there was a treaty signed that said that they can no longer refer to themselves as Pequots. And, uh, and, I was, and that was when the name of the river was changed as well. And they basically... Disbanded initially. um, This has changed uh, in the last 50 years or so. But uh, we're told to go with. uh, We're not told, but basically disbanded and melted in with groups like the Mohawks and stuff. Uh, There are the Pequot uh, uh, tribe is pretty um, happening in Connecticut right now. Um, I I don't know a a super amount of history. I've seen some documentaries on stuff on YouTube about the reemergence of that, but. I won't get into that now.
1: Would you call this, like, I guess from the settler's point, did they think of this as genocide or like, what did they, like, well, well, I call it genocide, but what, what allowed them to do this?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think there was a lot, there's, there's a quote by, uh, by one, I think an English person that's like, it would have been nice if you converted some before you had killed any. And, and, but, and then I think uh, Underhill or maybe it's uh, Mason or one of the other captains said, you know, uh, God says sometimes women need to die with their children or whatever. I can't remember the exact Bible quote, but they turn to religious reasoning um, in, both, in both ways. And it leads to like a more uh, aggressive missionary effort uh, afterwards by the people with the guilty consciences, and, um, which, is also, which also doesn't uh, end up terribly well.
1: Um, and how, so the, the Pequots disbanded and, um, it, so the war lasted two years?
2: Uh, yeah, it was pretty quick. Basically you have the mystic massacre and then, uh, a bunch of, and, and the remaining tribes are sort of, uh, hunted down, um, described, this is described by Alan, uh, historian, Alan Taylor's mop-up operations. Uh, there's a swamp, uh, they're surrounded in a swamp, a, a, i think it's i don't think it's called the dismal swamp but it's described as a dismal swamp and uh the englishers said hey anybody who hasn't killed englishmen can come out and be saved and they eventually it just leads to another massacre in the swamp and uh a lot of the um basically any of the survivors that were captured if if they were men uh particularly they'd be traded with um traded for slaves and there's there's documentation to this uh, traded for slaves in the Caribbean and the, uh, the women and children were dispersed out by John Winthrop and those types of guys for domestic helpers
1: so they were so they were sent to the Caribbean to be slaves or how did that work
2: yeah to I, they're sent there to to be slaves and also sla- slash Trade for slaves and and things that can be bought on with the slave markets. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what they got in return, but they wanted to bring up some African slaves to to New England in exchange for Pequots.
3: Um, Why? Like, what's what's the point of exchanging one group of slaves for another? Is it because
1: people vital. from
3: Africa are not going to be? They're not familiar with this place. It's going to be harder for them to resist or maintain um yeah, that's a lot of it, right okay. like it's
2: uh, a lot less the, the the revolt is a lot less uh, worrying worrisome if you know you, they don't have a tribe out there to assist them right that sort of thing okay And, and there's also uh, you're developing like sort of racialized ideas about which labor who can do what labor and that sort of things to uh, um, and and I think there was when I was reading it it just reads like, they felt like they had a bunch, a, a good thing going on in the Caribbean and they, oh, this can be our part of it.
3: They wanted or to contribute it or, or maybe become stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: But right. the Africans also survive better with these germs. So it was more, sorry for the crude analogy, right. for their buck.
2: Well, it would be, I mean, yeah, because they would be more exposed to those diseases that had been on the Eurasian continent.
0: Oh yeah, right? yeah, and the, um, Like specifically the thing with like the way livestock was handled in European cities in that time, generally created a lot of disease. So um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: And the cost of producing and recording, we need your help. Please become a patron. It is as cheap as $5 a month and you get exclusive access to all our patron-only content. To become a patron, go to http colon slash slash www.patreon.com slash historic underscore Lee. Were there any contemporary or little bit post-contemporary literature that was written about the Pequot Wars? If so, like what side, like
2: through whose point of view did they write it? Oh, yeah. There's, uh, there's, uh, it's all Cologne, the type of people you'd think. So I think Underhill writes a, a story about it. Uh, Winthrop and Bradford, I believe, mention it. And these are all men of state. And they all, w- basically without exception, write it in a way that favors them. Uh, Winthrop especially, uh, academics have noted that it's very rare that a treaty that he signed ends up uh, outliving him. So they end up disappearing or we just have no idea what happened or there's very clearly were other clauses that weren't uh, written down on the public one. And uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing how to see like sort of who gets to write the history and then to see the effect of that history, uh, that bent history or, or, or um, misleading history on how society develops after that.
3: I'm I'm curious the the justification like using religion and seeing it all as this sort of I guess spiritual battle between God and the devil you you know sort of using I guess like earthly agents is all I mean I I think a lot of a lot of us are somewhat familiar with that but I've always wondered how much of their own BS did they believe at the time and how much it was like how like were they coming up with this in real time or did they kind of come up with a good story afterwards. I think
2: I think I think you it's know. the latter for a lot of them. Uh okay. there's uh, uh there's I and I wish I had the citation a bit better. It's either one at Mason or Underhill, but there's a there's a YouTube video I can I can maybe send to Isha after this, uh where a guy's going through it and he's mentioning how the, the first private draft has a lot less uh, mention of God. It's much more matter of fact. And then when it was drafted <laughs> okay. like uh Republic uh consumption. It's like, and then God allowed this, and then this happened because of God's providence and that sort of thing. So yeah, I think, I think that suspicion is the right one to have.
3: Okay. That makes sense to me. I I tend to assume huge material interest for any sort of conflict in history. And I've, I've always sort of suspected that people do what they want or take what they want or do what they feel they need to do. And afterwards they, you know, figure out a way to rationalize it. But I've always wondered about the, I guess I assume the cynicism, but I've always wondered how much sincerity was mixed in. <laughs> right, exactly.
1: Um, and um, so I, I, I guess, um, how was was there any version of the story from the Pequot side? Like, did any of that survive, or no?
2: Ooh, um, that's a good question. For, specifically from the Pequot side, I'm not. Uh, certain, although I imagine you know the, uh, the the rest the other tribes that witnessed it were talking about it uh, and and what it portended for the type of warfare that they were going to experience with English colonists. Um, yeah with, with regards to specific uh, stories, you know, I'm not sure. I, I've heard a couple um, of uh, current uh, uh, Pequot uh, Indians on on YouTube talk about, how, you know, when they were told the story, they were, and they, before they looked into the actual chronology of it, they thought it happened, like, um, the way that, how vividly they were told it, it felt like it happened, you know, 70 years ago. Um, so, it's, it's clearly lived on within the oral traditions, but I'm not sure specific, any uh, specific uh, documents or uh, documentation of it.
1: Um, so, in your podcast, um, which... So which, which book or, uh, do you read or analyze for the Pequot Wars? And was it fiction
2: or the, not fiction? Uh, it's a fiction book called uh, Hope Leslie by Catherine Maria Sedgwick. She's a sort of early novelist. She's written around the time James Fenimore Cooper is, but she's much more forgotten than he is. Okay. Uh, I, think she, I think at least this book is as good as what I've read from James Fenimore Cooper. But uh, it's called Hope Leslie. Uh, it in, includes a, a main character, a, a, a girl named Maga Wiska, who is a daughter of uh, of um, of uh, well she's a she's a Pequot girl that uh, survives the Mystic Massacre and then tells her uh, adoptive in quotes uh, also the the family that she's given to to be a servant for uh, tells them about the uh, uh, about the massacre from her eyes and uh, it's a very interesting story I'm actually recording the part two of it uh, in a couple of hours so.
1: Oh, okay. Um, that makes
2: and, and this is completely fiction, right? Yep. Uh, well, it's it's a it's an interesting mix of fiction and and it's is it written in 1827, and Sedgwick actually herself changes the order a bit around in the uh, inciting um, the deaths like of the traders. Uh, she plays with history in an interesting way that I think uh, is sophisticated enough to say that maybe we shouldn't necessarily trust it from the. Uh, the Winthrop's and Bradford's of the world.
1: Ah, okay. Um, and so uh, the and the col- col- then the colonists just continued to live there after the massacre of the Pequots, like just like before, or did anything change with them?
2: Uh, I think uh, you you basically have it, it, it carries on, you know, with trading and you know. Um, Building new settlements until the next, uh, you know, outbreak with the next tribe, uh, basically, and until you get the to the point of you know where last of the Mohicans is written, when they're uh, the the sort of mythologized um, premise there is that the Native Americans are completely gone, which is as we know not true, um, but that's sort of it, the especially in the Northeast. Uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty fast uh, progression out of there for them, I think. Okay.
3: Uh, so was it, at any point did, um, did the Narragansetts and, I don't know, the Mohawks and the, the other Iroquois nations all get together and say, okay, all right, they're clearly here to wipe us out. They're not going anywhere. We need to wipe them out. It's them or us.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I don't know any, I can't name any of the specific figures. Uh, I, I haven't gotten this deep into the history yet, but this is where I'm going next. And I know there were an, uh, at least a couple of figures that were saying this, uh, we need to unite because this isn't going to be good for us. We can't, you know, rely on the Dutch or something like that because eventually right. they realize that the English are going to side with each other. Right, right. None uh, of these people are your
3: friends. They all have opposing interests. I guess I've, I've just wondered why they never did it. Why Why did they not totally wipe out the English?
2: I think the answer is tra- trade relationships. It's hmm. uh, it's divide and conquer, right? Like if uh, if we can promise this to uh, such and such because these, these uh, tribes weren't, you know, they weren't um centrally planned right they were right they, they had they had they had you know different levels of satrum ships and things like that, but you couldn't it wasn't like under a king, so it couldn't be like, hey, nobody do this from now on and and so if if we can offer hey you can have access to this valley uh to hunt um that was formerly under some sort of maybe competitor uh you don't you know i i think that's probably how to how that worked i think trade and material material benefit was probably material uh, um you know uh incentive was probably what led to that
3: and i guess there wasn't some sort of cohesive identity that transcended tribe or anything like that they were all yeah independent no, I, nations i think that i think
2: that was a project that certain figures believe they they uh, would be nice but i don't think it ever got off the ground enough to present a ser- super serious challenge but i, I again, I could be wrong, or or, uh, underselling uh, some of that stuff.
1: Um, And so, go
0: ahead, JD. Oh, no, go ahead. I don't have one,
1: go.
0: um, So, early on, uh, and this is kind of stepping back a bit in time, um, there was a lot of uh, colonists who would join indigenous tribes um, and it was, eventually became a problem in the eyes of the powers that be that they started punishing people. Um, And obviously this is because the, uh, indigenous population under, you know, I mean, they obviously knew how to, you know, plant things right. And not die from preventable diseases. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, um, what was, uh, At first, what would would, uh, encourage people to go join indigenous tribes? Besides like the obvious, uh, not starving to death part.
2: You know, um, I don't know specifically the just, I'm gonna leave and go join a tribe. Um, I I know Sedgwick, the author of Hope Leslie that I I mentioned earlier, she had a relation um, who who died four years before she was born, but, Named Eunice Williams, who was in 1704 abducted by uh, Mohawks, I believe. Uh, French no, it was a French and Indian War party, uh, French and some Mohawk Indians, and uh, Eunice and her father and a few of her siblings were were captured, and the rest of her family was ransomed by the governor. But Eunice fell in love with um, one of the uh, a Mohawk boy. And married in 1713, and and didn't ever want to leave. She just um, she adopted, uh, you know, the the culture. And I'm, you know, I'm not really sure what it is. Um, it seems like the examples seem to be more female. So it seems like women, and and this could be this is just uh, conjecture, but or speculation based on what I've read. But a lot of a lot of it seems to be women. Um, preferring that lifestyle than, than at least men uh, or uh, uh,
0: English men, basically. So uh,
1: sure.
0: that makes sense because um, from when looking into this, uh, apparently tribes had a lot more egalitarian um, view on gender or, uh, you know, yeah. a more progressive for the time.
1: Yeah.
2: And, and, you know, there was a, there was a labor split uh, along gender lines um uh, there too but uh, it wasn't um, women's labor wasn't devalued uh, like it like it was in English uh, as much as it was in the English patriarchal sort of context. Uh, um, what would you attribute the- that to? Treaty- uh, mm, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> that's, a tough, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, a lot I of
1: question.
2: things. maybe Go on, Aisha.
1: After the Treaty of Hartford is that the one that... Um, like I heard that there yep. was an order to hunt, like just kill any Picua who still refer to themselves as Pequot. Yeah, like-
2: that that's the basically the explicitly genocidal treaty. Yeah, where it's like we, they can't call themselves
3: Pequods anymore. And uh, yeah, how how would they know if someone is calling them a people Piqu- themselves a Pequod? Or is this just a this just a you know on paper this is our excuse. For wiping out who I
2: think it's the sort of thing like if someone's going around calling themselves a Pequot, then we got problems in our hands, and you know, we're gonna send, send some people to fix that. I think um, it's, it's a political thing, right? Like, don't identify yourself as a, a socialist almost, right? Like, right, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: they're, 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 um, so don't were fly these... that flag, basically. Oh, sorry, were these colonists trained military men or were they just ordinary people with guns?
2: Uh, A lot of them were actually, uh, were trained military men, um, uh, Underhill and Mason. I mean, there were some regular people who who weren't um, military at all, but there was a fair amount of, and I don't know the European context as well for this, but I think there's a lot of war fighting that led up, um, preceded this even, uh, that where a lot of these guys sort of developed their skills.
1: And how did mainland England or the Queen see this conflict as like, did she approve,
2: disapprove? She didn't know about it? Ooh, uh, I think that's a complicated answer that I I don't have the, uh, a complicated
3: question. I don't have the, I don't want to speak on that because I, I don't know uh, well enough. As, would you say that, I guess, maybe just broadly speaking in terms of settler colonial efforts over here that, they often involved a measure of plausible deniability or just like the monarch conveniently doesn't know a lot of the details, stuff like that. Yeah. Or,
2: you, you know, I, I wonder because sometimes it's the monarch that's actually standing, that's restraining the colonists a little bit.
1: Hmm.
2: Um, like, uh, interesting, um, and, <laughs> and, you know, like don't uh, um, yeah. So I don't know. It's, 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 it's hard to say exactly which. I mean, to be honest, like power will hide behind whatever is most available to so. So if it needs to say that this is the queen's fault, then they say that. If they need to say the queen didn't know about this, then they can say that too. And who really knows? Um, but, right. Uh, yeah, I don't know.
1: Oh, by the way, um, I, I, in, like, we'll, we can go back to the, uh, uh, the Peacock Wars a little bit later. But while I still have you with time. Can you talk about um the Wampanoag and Donald Trump's personal beef with the Wampanoag?
3: Wait, what? Oh, I, <laughs> what?
1: Yeah, just listen to that.
3: Okay. Yeah,
2: I'm sorry. I should have I I meant to look into this a bit deeper for but basically basically what's happened is Trump was having I think a land dispute issue. I don't know how much you looked into this either in the in the <laughs> 80s or early 90s. And and he was trying to Get access to some land, or get uh, a tribal um, recognition removed. And his basic argument was that the they didn't look Native American to him. Uh, and there's there's some pretty uh, uh, d- uh, characteristically disgusting footage of Trump in the 90s saying just awful things about how Indian people look and how they, they're clearly scamming the government and, and that sort of thing. It's, okay. it's
1: but last month, the Wampanoag got their status as a, 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 a tribe rescinded from the U.S. government, so now they're no longer. I wonder if it's related oh, or gosh. conspiracy theories.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the sort of thing where I don't know if Trump has the, the memory but if he has a memory for anything stemming that long ago it's probably like people who won uh, both you know he's racist against and two slighted him so it's possible right he's
3: got a pristine memory for grudges. that's for sure that seems to be the one thing right <laughs> god exactly good god
1: whose phone is that um and so it seems like, so, and after the Pequot War, things they were lying low for about a little a while until the King Philip's War, right?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it, it got uneasy, though. Uh, I think, um, I think it was a very, a very uneasy piece. I think the the Mystic Massacre had a huge impact on how the indigenous people viewed the colonists and, I I would say not necessarily peaceful, but guarded, like a guarded peace. After that,
0: with uh, King King Philip War, um, didn't his head get cut off and put on a stake and left there for? uh, When I was reading on this, it said decades, but uh, is that a myth or is that like? Uh, I'm not sure. uh, Not there yet. Oh, okay. Um
1: and oh, I oh yeah. And, and so, what happened to the um? I can't remember their names, but the ones, the not, the ones who were belligerent against the Pequot, like the ones who the, cooperated.
2: The Narragansetts.
1: Narragansetts. What happened to them?
2: Um, I mean, they have they had a relationship with Roger Williams in Providence, and and he was sort of became he was exiled by the, the Massachusetts, but then. Later, he he would become sort of their contact with the Native Americans. So, when it like in the lead up to the Pequot War, they'd ask Roger Williams like, "Hey, what's going on with them? Why are they are they gonna you know are are we gonna be able to like um, whenever whenever there's trouble?" Roger Williams was their contact guy, Uh, and and I think basically like he worked to try to make that um, uh, keep a keep a relatively safe and calm relationship with the Narragansetts, but ultimately it didn't, uh, it didn't, uh, didn't last.
1: And, um, like, were the Narragansetts part of that, the peace treaty of Hartford too?
2: Uh, that's a good question. Uh, Let me, I can just look that up here. Um, I think they might have been, uh, Let's see um, yeah, it was uh it was between the English, the mohegan, and the Narragansett uh basically, and let's see if I can see who the Narragansett sachem was um, yeah, it doesn't have it here, but yeah, basically.
1: Um, oh, uh, hey,
2: Isha, Isha uh, we have to actually do something on the internet here. So if we can wrap up uh, in like 5, 10.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay? No, actually, oh, we can. Okay. In that case, the last okay. question is, t- can you tell me about your favorite, since you do JFK, um, uh, like Nixon Tapes and just so t- t- can you tell me about what, what's your your theory on the JFK assassination?
2: <laughs> My... Th- yeah, my theory on the JFK assassination is that I'm I'm genuinely I try not to get bogged down in the whole ballistics of Dealey Plaza did Oswald shoot it was the shooter that sort of thing. I think that there's enough uh, ambiguous uh, and and sort of suspicious things going on in the bureaucracy of like say the CIA uh, that makes me suspect that it's very possible that there were hit squads that comprised of either mafia-related or uh, right-wing Cuban-related and yeah. CIA-related uh, assets that wanted to kill Kennedy. Um, and, and the reasons I think I, I'm most sold on is I've, I've read some books talking about um, you know, I, I don't think Kennedy wanted necessarily to be a super peacenik, um, but I think the Bay of Pigs really pissed off a lot of people. Uh, I think his, um, his sympathy with like Patrice Lumumba and African national movement. was also upsetting a lot of people. And then there was also a, uh, I think it was an oil allowance that was pissing off a lot of people. And so I think uh, my, my general thing is there were assassinations of head of state going on all over the world at this point in time. And to just,
0: yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah. To dismiss
2: the possibility that America uh, was the victim of one of those is just American exceptionalism.
3: Right. The idea that Alan yeah. Dulles would consider uh, one head of state sacred or an Amer- a particular American exactly. institution sacred, especially when he harbors a grudge.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and I've also heard an interesting theory that. Um- it might've been a secret service agent that accidentally shot Kennedy as a motorcade sped up. Yeah. I'm um, playing like the weird bullet trajectories and the smell of gunpowder on the ground. Yeah. I, and I mean, it, it,
2: I'm less convinced by that one. Cause I think I actually buy the trajectory stuff. Uh, I think, I think, I mean, I've been to Dealey Plaza. It does not seem impossible to me that like, I don't think you need a magic bullet actually. And that's, to be honest, that's one of the things that I really don't like about the Oliver Stone movie is I think it spends way too much time on that nonsense. Uh, right. Yeah, when really, yeah. I wanna know what was Oswald doing at the YouTube base in Japan, right? Like those are the interesting questions, not- uh,
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on. And since you're such, a, you're such a history buff, I'm sure we'll have you on again.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Is there anything you would like to plug? Yeah,
2: just check out Literary Hangover Podcast, uh, YouTube, wherever podcasts are
0: found.
1: It, it, well, we already did, that was the first thing we did, JD.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm oh. just
1: well, ha- have a,
0: covering all bases. Have a good
1: Thanksgiving, and uh, I think we're trying to release this episode on Thanksgiving as the true story of Thanksgiving. <laughs>
2: okay. Awesome. Thank you guys very much. Okay, thanks, thanks a bye. lot, Matt. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. Bye.
1: Bye. Okay. Um. I think this went really well.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. This fantastic. was good. And I've. And, I am. Um, I didn't realize you were. Uh, you were having him on, Isha. That's cool.
1: Okay. Um. Because of the Pequot Wars and the true story of Thanksgiving. Um. Uh. Brandon. Okay. We need an intro. Uh, JD, can, can you do an introduction saying This is uh, and Brandon or something like that
0: yeah this is uh how's it going comrades you
1: were listening to historically a show where we